Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is the founder and chief vision officer of Players Fitness and Performance. He is the author of the book, The Youth Truth. He is also a coach and mindset consultant himself. You can take his free mindset diagnostic tool linked up here to this episode. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Andrew Simpson. Great, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. Well, first, just to give our, our listeners a little background, I'd love for you just to, to share a little bit about your background uh, and journey into what it is you do now and, and let us fill them in uh, on what it is you do now. Yeah, I, I stumbled pretty accidentally into training youth athletes and helping them get bigger, faster, stronger on the strength and conditioning side. I kind of stumbled into it when I was 19. I went away at 18 years old to play college basketball. And I was a very immature 18-year-old kid. And so I didn't last very long at a four-year school. Um, and so I ended up coming back to a community college. And while I was at that community college here in Frederick, Maryland, I started working at the front desk of a big sports complex, met a guy who was doing this thing, right? Training athletes for sports performance. I had no clue it was a, a profession, right? You get paid for this. And I fell in love with it. I started shadowing him, interned with him. And just everything kind of took off from there. I just became obsessed with fitness and sports performance and helping athletes, like I said, get bigger, faster, stronger, which then led to finding out uh, an athlete's number one challenge isn't always the physical. A lot of the times it's the mental. And so as we get into today, I'm sure we can talk more about that. But yeah, I started a business about eight years ago called Players Fitness and Performance here in Frederick, Maryland. And uh, now we've got a couple locations uh, in Maryland that we serve a lot of student athletes. Um, and I love, I mean, I know we, before we kind of started recording, I was giving you a little bit of my background, but yeah, when you, that was kind of my experience when I was a high school and young college athlete was just get bigger, just get faster, just get stronger. And I was good at that in the sports realm, but then when I transitioned to the real world, I couldn't just get bigger, faster than stronger than my competition and my other jobs. Um, <laughs> uh, and I think that's when I noticed, you know, some, some gaps, you know, strategically that, you know, you know, performance wise, I missed the mental benefits of, and, you know, later on was trying to develop those things uh, to help my career and performance and to serve others. But what was it, you know, kind of my background with it but what was kind of your you know maybe moment or, or light switch moment that was you know you know really helping athletes to better performance you know yeah it involves the gyms and we can improve a lot of our physical capacities and a lot of our mental capacities resilience and grits and, and those processes but when was it that you really noticed that this mental performance and mental skills is also going to be a driver of, you know, not just performance, but also well-being. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was 2016 and I'll share the story about that for the mindset and mental skills piece, but really it was 2013 that I had my first mentor that really poured into me in my life, right. Helped me set goals in life, helped me see more for myself than I could currently see. And uh, that I kind of, I don't look at that as necessarily mental skills, right? That's just like being a mentor, being a leader, being a 
we call it love powered coaching. And so I knew that that was going to be a part of the training that I wanted to do with athletes, right? Be more than just a trainer, more than just a coach. And so we, we built that into our training program. But then in 2016, I got a phone call from a parent uh, of an athlete and this parent was frantic, man. I mean, she was, Andrew, it happened again last night on the volleyball court. Megan, she messed up a couple times, had a couple bad serves, and then she just unraveled and coach pulled her out. Her body language is terrible. She got in her head. It just keeps happening. Can you help her? And I'm like, man, like I thought we were helping her with this stuff, right? Like this girl had a 27 inch vertical jump. She was a 4.0 student, incredible skilled athlete, yet she couldn't perform when things went south, when she made a mistake, when coach pulled her out, she wasn't able to get past the mental blocks that were in her mind. And so in 2016, I realized I've got to become more educated around sports psychology, around mental game training. And so does our team. So does our our team of coaches. And so we kind of went full force into it so that we could help again, fill the gap uh, where our athletes weren't getting the help they needed. I like that. I love, uh, love powered coaching. Uh, I think, you know, the old adage always here's, you know, tough love. I've been more of a love tough, uh, put the love part first, uh, and then you can be tough, but, uh, talk about love powered coaching, what that is and, and how, how you apply it. Yeah. So for us, it actually comes from, um, a Bible verse that you hear at a lot of weddings, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. You hear it at weddings all the time. And so yeah. for us, we, we took the word love and replaced it with the word coach. So coach is patient, coach is kind, coach does not envy, coach does not get jealous, all these things. Coach does not berate a kid in front of the other teammates, right? Which doesn't actually say that in the Bible, but you see what I'm saying there. And uh, and John John Wooden was a coach that I really looked up to uh, for, and I still do, right? A lot of my coaching career, and I watched the way that he coached. And he said that the one thing that he left out from his pyramid of success, if he could go back and do it all over again, was the word love and he would stick it right in the center and for us and for him and what we believe love is love does have to correct at times love does have to discipline love does have to you know be tough at times and so we believe love powered coaching it's the only way to to help an athlete reach their full potential and to quote unquote get the most out of them because love does what is in the best interest of the athlete no matter what even if it's inconvenient for the coach even if it uh, you know, even if it, yeah, inconvenience, in- inconveniences the coach. So that's kind of how we view love powered coaching. I love just the, like you, you brought up how you hear that at weddings, um, probably was, I'm sure said at our recited at ours, um, but, uh, <laughs> the, it, and, you know, in, in that framework, right. That's supposed to be this, this most, one of our most, our most important relationship in our life. And I think when you take it from a young athlete's perspective, often that coach is sometimes the most important relationship in their life. Um, yeah. And so I just love the framework and the parallels that that you saw and made those connections with. Um, and I think there's that you can push a kid. And that's why I think you need to have the love part before you get tough and challenging, you know, have that high support with high challenge um, and put the love first. But you know, that's when you're going to get the most is when you have a trustful relationship. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, how that plays into accelerating the quality of relationship, which then can accelerate performance? Yeah, I think that you, yeah, you get the most out of them, but then you also see uh, when an athlete knows that their coach loves them, right. And is there for them more than just the athlete, 
that's when you see athletes actually take more risks, uh, not dwell on mistakes very long, not overthink. Because again, if you just know that your coach loves you, right, he's there for you. And he, he doesn't just look at you as a, someone to help with the scoreboard or help with the wins and losses, right? It's, it really does change the way an athlete performs. And uh, we could get into all the psychology and the mental blocks and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the, the power that a coach has that I, as a you know sports performance mindset coach, like I don't even have this power. The power that a coach has is the ability to make their athlete feel safe and loved. And then they will not fear making mistakes as much. They might still fear disappointing their parents, right? Coach can't do anything about that. But the coach has the power to to relieve the pressure and relieve right. that worry from the athlete. I think that's one thing I was sure you, you said pressure. Um, and that as you compete, especially if you move up levels, as you get older in different different realms, you won't, we're not going to in competition, escape pressure and expectations. You know, we're going to put some on mm-hmm. ourselves, or teammates have some, our parents have some, our coaches, have, right? We're not going to escape them all. And I think if yeah. we're highly driven, we're going to have some ourselves, uh, you know, but just like you said, great coaches help us navigate them. And, you know, maybe I think your example too, I think you've probably seen some parents, sometimes parents, parents are hindering them. <laughs> um, yeah in those, you know, in the, and they're not aligned with their child's expectations. Can you talk about a little bit how understanding what your athletes goals and expectations and ambitions are uh, and be able yeah. to, to uh, be aligned with them? Maybe it is as a parent coach, everybody, if you're going to create the best opportunities for the athlete. Yeah. Yeah. I know when you were talking about that, it makes me think of uh, myself actually, when, when I found that I was really, um, when I look back as like regrets in my professional career as a coach, as a coach of athletes in a different capacity, right? It's, it's the times that I became a little bit too self-focused on my own accolades, which in our world, it's like, if you can get a lot of athletes to the collegiate level, right? As if it was all my, it, all my right, doing, right? right? But right. It, it's the times where I kind of became selfish and looked at like, Hey, if I can get this athlete to college, then I can use that as a testimonial and it can get me more clients or athletes. And so, and and you stop focusing on what is in the best interest of the athlete and what's, what are their goals and what are their aspirations? And you start to make it more about you. And I think that at the root of a lot of parent athlete relationship drama or coach athlete relationship drama, where things go south at the root of it, it it almost always comes back to that, that word selfish, right? Somebody is focusing more on their self than on what the athlete really needs. Yeah. And so when, when I look at a lot of the most successful, <laughs> successful sports parent to athlete relationships, and I have so many of these conversations every week, Tyler, I sit down with sports parents mm-hmm. almost every day, multiple times to just talk through this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, 10 years ago when I got it or about 14 years ago, now I got into this industry I did not think I was going to be in this role, right? Like a mediator between sports parents and athletes, but I find myself doing that so much now. But when I look at the most successful relationships between a sports parent and an athlete, the parent is a great question asker. Mm -hmm. They don't tell their athlete what they think they should do. They don't try to kind of like backdoor motivate their athlete to pursue college sports. They don't do those things. They ask questions like, Hey, what, what's most important to you, Johnny? Um, hey, what do you really want to get out of your career, Johnny? Um, and I could go on and on. We could talk about these questions all day long, but that's something very rare in today's sports society. 
where a coach asks their player, Hey, what do you think? Yeah. You know, what do you, what do you think the best thing for us to do right here in this situation is? And it develops their critical thinking skills, which is something that we all want to see more in our athletes. So most definitely. I love that you talked about questions. I think that's the thing I always talk about with coaches and team building. Um, and I think part of that importance is I've seen some from my college athletes and even successful, successful high school athletes is they don't always have the language capacity to describe all the things they're doing and feeling and going through while they're competing, just because they've done it, they've done it, they've done it, but they've never talked about it as they've gone through that process. And so yeah. I think just these questions sometimes of what did you experience? How did that feel? What did you see? Was it fun? Was it hard? <laughs> like That's good. Yeah. It helps so much. And because I've seen some kids that have some great talent, I'm shocked that they don't have some greater capacity to explain what they're doing, which then as a coach sometimes me, makes me worry if they can repeat it, right? Um, That's good, yep. And so uh, are there questions that uh, I know I have some ones that I love kind of to dig into open up athletes. Do you have a few that you like to use with kind of teenage or student athletes to get them to open up and see maybe a competitive spirit in a broader sense? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I always love like the, the uh, futuristic questions, right, that are about their future goals and dreams, because again, they don't get asked those questions very often either, right? Yeah. So like, hey, like, what do you want your legacy to be about? Like mm -hmm. you ask that to a 14 year old athlete, they're going to look at you like you have three heads. But then if you give them space to really think about it and write it down and talk through it, they start to get clear about what actually matters most to them. I'll never forget last year when I was working with a, a division one softball player who was in her freshman year and she went to a really big school for softball and lo and behold, in her freshman year, shocker, she wasn't a starter <laughs> and she had been a starter her whole life growing up. Yeah. And in that moment, it became clear that there was a gap. She had not really thought about what matters most to her in her softball career because when it came time to be in that stage, all she could think about was what everybody else cares about, which is, am I a starter? Am I a starter? Am I a starter? Am I a starter? And so we did the hard work of, of asking her, what, what, is, what do you want your legacy to be about at the end of four years? And by, by the time she was done that exercise, she had written out a couple of things about leadership, a couple of things about reaching her full potential, a couple of things that are more and future goal oriented. And I asked her, I said, how do you feel now? And she said, honestly, she's a, I don't feel anxious anymore. I don't feel stressed anymore about my current situation. I said, okay, do you feel more uh, encouraged that you can become a starter by let's say next season? She's like, yeah. Cause she stopped focusing on the short term, what I don't have right now and what's missing right now. Cause that's a default for our brains. Our brains, they default to three things. What's missing, what's not right, and uh, what's wrong, right? What, what, what's missing, what's wrong, and where am I not um, achieving right now? So that's really one of the most important questions I ask is, what do you want your legacy to be about? It's a little bit longer one. It's not necessarily on the track with what you were talking about, but I'm curious, what are some of the ones that you love to ask? Well, I think one of them I know I absorbed from John Gordon a long time ago was um, just learning a, an athlete's hero highlight and hardship of mm -hmm. where they're at. And I think... You know, when I share it with coaches, I think if I know who an athlete's hero is, I can point to the hero as, are they, would they be proud of you today? Are they, you know, you have something to kind of push and trigger some motivation. And 
Um, the highlight part, you always have a reference point of something great that athletes done. So when they're yeah. maybe feeling challenged, you can be like, Hey, remember that day? Show me, give me some of that. Right. And yeah. then, um, the hardship, um, you know, again, maybe if they're going through something challenging, it's like, Hey man, you overcame that ACL that took months. This is a short-term adversity. One week we got this, you know? Yeah. And so I think it gives you some reference points to, to motivate. And I think, the conversation always goes well beyond just like the legacy. Once you give it space and some time. Um, yeah. I figure out those three things, the hero, the highlight, the hardship, but I learned, you learn so much more about why those things were what they were and how they experienced them. And I think that's really, I, I think, so that's one I always kind of love. And then again, just like you said, legacy, um, I think it's interesting you brought up the the starter. I think one time uh, with goals, I find a lot of athletes that make number goals or mm -hmm. first team, all American, all state starter, right? It's these label goals or a number goal. And when they do what your example was, focus on these things, like you can't control the numbers and the labels. Um, but we, your athlete was a great example, that story you shared about focusing on things probably she could control more and then being a starter. Um, yeah. I want to ask you, you know, we talked about, and I think I experienced too, like I was stud high school athlete and showed up on a college campus and realized a lot of people were pretty good. Um, <laughs> and I think you, we, we want kids to be able to go and chase their goals and dreams and play at the next level. But I always do caution them. It's, it's usually, you know, that signing day is the beginning of a new level of workload. Um, it's yeah. not going to get easier um, for, for most athletes, unless you're just, just some blessed talent, <laughs> yeah. um, it's going to have, you know, physical and mental challenges. And, um, just like when I thought I was going to become a starter, our coach started bringing in transfers. I was like, Oh, that's new. Um, yeah. and that was something new mentally to absorb them as a teammate and try to compete with them. <laughs> right. And can you talk yeah. about just kind of how you, maybe the mental skills and leadership conversations and legacy has kind of helped shape. Uh, I think it puts kids in a better position to overcome those early struggles of, of adjusting to collegiate athletics. Yeah. Yeah. We can definitely get there. As you were talking, it made me think of the two kind of criteria that I go through because I challenge athletes all the time, whether they're freshmen, sophomore, college, uh, juniors or seniors, I challenge them all the time to not to get them to doubt themselves, but to really question like, do you want to do this? And there's two criteria, right? One is, um, do you love it? Do you really love it? And the second is, you know, are you good at it? Or could you become really good at it? Good enough to play at that level. And only one of those is absolutely necessary for me to say, yes, college sports is a good idea for you. And which one do you think it is? I'm going to go with love based on our last few you, minutes of conversation. <laughs> sure. You, you, you got to love it. I mean, if you don't love it and you're not having fun doing it, you're going to hate it when you get there. If you think high school sports are hard and inconvenient at times or club is inconvenient or hard or like once you get to college, you know this, like it's it's your life. And if you really can't say like you're at a point where you're passionate about the game still and you love it so much that you're willing to do kind of whatever coach could ask you to do, which again, let your mind wonder because coaches will ask you to do a lot. And uh, I think that one of the most important things parents need to pause on nowadays is like not every kid is meant to play college sports like like For we sure. are not all wired to be athletes 
For sure. And uh, I'm trying with my four-year-old son right now who is showing no signs of athleticism at all, right? I'm like, there are so many other things he could be great at. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't want to try to even, because I love it, like, I don't want to even try to lead him to sports knowing that, like, there are so many capabilities that this kid has. Like, I want to try to discover what's, what's really he's going to be great at and what he's going to love. And it's got to yeah. match. It really has to match both of them but definitely needs to match the the love bucket. And we just live in a world where, you know, it's not about if you love something or not, it's about what's going to make you look great. What's going to elevate your status. What's going to, right. Put them, put the money in the bank, give you the scholarship, all that stuff, man. So I don't know when you ask that question, that's my, the first place my mind went to be honest with you. Yeah. No. And I think it's the, the people that really love it are the ones that really develop the resilience and the grit and these things you, you talk, we talk about um, right. because they keep going. Uh, another one of my guests shared his quote was, you know, winners lose more than losers lose. Uh-huh. You know, and it's part That's of right. it. You know, it's like the like, kids are kind of write like, that down. That's kid, good. <laughs> kids, kid, kids will kind of look at you puzzled. And then you like give them like, well, have you ever seen how many shots Michael missed and LeBron missed, you know, and they start to put it together. Yeah. But, you know, that it is that keep going. And I think to your point, we've seen talented athletes that have the talent at, at that level, maybe even a higher level. But because the love and the passion isn't there, it, it, it's not going to work out over the course of multiple years. And yeah. as a coach, it's always hard to see. But it is, I think, that that love or that passion isn't there. Um, which is is what gives other kids the ability to pass other talented kids um, yeah. because of, you know, if your love and passion is greater day to day, <clears throat> other people's will fade and, and you'll surface. Um, yeah, that's right. I think so. I, I love, I love, I keep saying, oh, man, this is going to be a record for this podcast with the word love, but that is, is, a, is not a bad <laughs> thing. So, uh, uh, one other question as we wrap up and kind of wind down here. Uh, what brings you the most joy in working with athletes? And sometimes you mentioned even the the challenging dynamic of performance coaching with parents and, and that dynamic, but where, where do you find the most joy in the, the work you do? Yeah. So yesterday I got to do, I got to lead our quarterly state of the company meeting with our entire staff. And um, I, I couldn't even keep it together, man. Like I'm like crying in front of our whole team because I got this testimonial from a parent who um, her son, man, he started out with us about nine months ago. And it was about a week into his training that he found out he was no longer um, part of the white team, right? Which is the good team, apparently. And so mm. the coach said, hey, you're not going to play for the white team anymore. And it just devastated this kid. He got no explanation from the coach. He got no, uh, hey, this is what you can work on. It was just like, hey, sorry, you didn't cut it. And so he came in. Um, we did some mindset training with him. We set some goals. And his his big goal was like, I want to prove to that coach that he made a mistake, right? I'm like, all right, that could get you started. That's that's a good motivation to get you started. It won't keep you going, but it'll get you started. And uh, and then he started working out in our small group training program with our love powered coaches, who are some of the greatest people that you'll ever meet. And uh, and the work that our coaches did with him over the course of seven months resulted in this testimonial that I got from mom about um, a week and a half ago. I think it was just sharing how one of her friends came over to their house and got to see Liam as he walked down the stairs and into the kitchen. And she said uh, to, to mom, Jen, she said, is that the same kid? 
he is he is gleaming with confidence, but he is still the same quiet, kind kid that he's always been. Mm. And like that's the kind of transformation that we look for at PFP is not the kids who just become the star, but it's like the humble, hungry leader, right? That does perform well, but also is a servant leader and is uh, is one who's gonna you know create a real legacy. And so it's like that kind of stuff, man, is what I what brings me the most joy is when I see the results of of all the work that we've put in over the years to help these kids. Love it, great story. Uh, we were able to uh, put you in the time machine and send you back to to your teenage self um, with all the the work and things you put into performance and training. Um, what's one thing you would remind your your teenage self? if you were able to do so? This is a question I really don't think much about, but when, when I do think about it, I mean, when I, when I got a mentor, like you can't like, obviously like force yourself to have mentors, but man, when I got a mentor and um, I started reading books and, and uh, seeking out growth and opportunities like that, man, when I started investing time in that and I left my old friend group, I didn't do that till I was 19. Right. But if I could have done that at 14 or 15, um, not that you want to just like ghost friends and just like leave them behind, but sometimes you do have to do that. And so I think I would tell myself, Hey, Andrew, if you do decide to choose a different friend group, and, uh, if you do decide to start investing in your own growth and learning a little bit more, here's what will be possible for you. Go ahead and make your own decision. But I just want you to know, like, this is what's possible. Uh, cause the growth can happen fast. If you get focused on how you can become a better version of you. So that's what I would tell myself. <laughs>